0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another short on Southern Fried Storytime. I am so excited to cover this one. I've actually wanted to do this story since I started this podcast, basically since I switched from Shivering Mouse over to Southern Pride, um and kind of opened myself up to some more non Disney stories. This story is one of the main ones I wanted to tell. But again, it is just a little shorty. So It's kind of hard to fit it into a full-length episode. That being said, I was first exposed to what this story is when playing Harvest Moon, Another Wonderful Life. You have a scene with one of the potential marriage candidates where he references um, a turtle that lives in the game and uh, says that he would be like Urashima Taro. And I remember as... younger person just reading that and going, uh, that's a big word. I don't know what that is. Now, I've always been the kind of person that if I don't know what a word specifically a big word means, I am super uncomfortable with being ignorant about it. So I almost always will look it up, try and figure out the context, that kind of thing. And so this, I mean, I'm a big fan of some of the older Harvest Moon games. I really enjoy them. Not as big of a fan of the newer ones, just because I think they they stick too much in there for you to do in one day, and it just it kind of uh, just makes the game more frustrating. Whereas to me, I like A Wonderful Life and Another Wonderful Life and Wonderful Life SE as my favorites because there's not too much for you to accomplish in one day, and yet you can you know still complete a very full day, and you just it keeps that frustration level down and that to me is the point of these kind of farming simulator games is that it's kind of a soothing way to kind of decompress something you don't have to put a ton of thought into. Anyway, I was playing the game, the name Urushima Taro popped up, and I was fascinated. I wanted to see what it was. And then when I found out that it's actually a traditional Japanese fairy tale and not just something random plugged into one of these games, that made me even more enthusiastic because it's that kind of ties one of my favorite video games to a fairy tale, which is one of my favorite things on Earth, which, you know, I mean, I was on board at that point. Um, Urushima Taro is the story that, I don't know, it's, it's kind of an interesting tale. It has a lot of Rip Van Winkle elements to it, and uh, I don't know, I'll j- I just really hope you'll enjoy it. I think it's an interesting tale. I can't say... It's a very pleasant tale, but it's very interesting. And I don't mean, I mean, if you've read Rip Van Winkle, you probably know what I mean by it's not pleasant, but it is one that kind of sticks in your brain because it has a lot of those same elements to it. Um, it's, it's kind of sad, um, but it's not super violent like a lot of fairy tales are, so that does make it a little different. I'm just going to go ahead and start with the tale. Um, It starts with an old, old elderly couple that live on the coast with their son, and they're very hardworking. They support themselves by fishing, which is pretty common in a lot of these, you know, Japanese stories, and they were super happy. Their son's name is Urashimataro, and uh, that basically means son of the island, and he grew up also to be a fine fisherman, you know, descending from these two fisherman and fisherwoman as they are, and of course, you know, that being the main career path that he's been exposed to his whole life, so he gets incredibly good at it. One day when he pulls in his nets as he's fishing, he finds a beautiful little tiny sea turtle that he decides to take home as a pet, but the sea turtle begs for his freedom, and Urashima, being kind of a pleasant person who doesn't like to tell others no, and certainly doesn't want to make this sea turtle sad. He goes ahead and lets him go. Years later, a terrible, terrible storm shatters his boat while he's out fishing, and the turtle comes and saves him. Now, even though it's only been a few years, and turtles, tortoises especially, can live like a a couple hundred years, so that two or three years doesn't seem like a very long time, Despite that, this turtle comes back and he's, I want to say like as big as my kitchen table. He's big enough that to rescue Urishima Taro, he rides on the turtle's back. So this turtle has obviously grown a lot. It's enormous. It can hold a grown man. And so Urushima is riding on the turtle's back. And the turtle kind of uh, proposes that instead of heading right back to shore right away, they kind of check out the wonders that exist under the sea. So down they go and they travel for three days and three nights and eventually stop at a beautiful palace that is gold and silver and covered with pearls and coral and gems. Once they enter the palace, they find that the entire inside is decorated with fish scales. And if that doesn't sound pretty to you, you probably haven't experienced too many fish scales because fish scales have this kind of pearly quality where in the light they kind of reflect different colors, kind of like a hummingbird. And so it could be really, really pretty, especially with the way water reflects the light. So anyway, it does describe that on the inside of the palace is decorated with all of these fish scales. The palace belongs to the sea god whose daughter, Otohime, wants to meet Urushima Um, She wants to meet him and thank him because it turns out the turtle is kind of her, her right-hand man, her main man's male servant, and, uh, you know, kind of is a big part of her life, a very important figure in her life. And so she's, she wants to express her gratitude. But then when she sees Urushima she immediately falls in love at first sight with him. She begs him to stay with her there in the palace under the sea. And in exchange she promises that he will never grow old and that his beauty will never fade. She, of course, was as beautiful as the sun, and he agreed to stay. They lived in great happiness until one day he began to long to see his parents. He gets pretty homesick, and eventually, despite him trying to hide it or trying to suppress these feelings, the princess does ask him what's wrong. She can tell that he's he's very bothered, and he tells her that he misses his family. She's heartbroken by this, which he doesn't fully expect. You know, he it's kind of a sad thing, but he doesn't expect her to be as crushed by it as she is. So she explains to him that if he goes home, something horrible will happen to him and he'll never come back. He thinks this sounds a little extreme. He hasn't been down there that long. And he promises that this will be the only time he leaves her behind and says that, you know, he, he promises to come back to her. She says that there is one way he can return back to, you know, his home and then come back to his palace safely. But she's worried that he won't accept it. He says that he will. He vows to return. And so she gives him a tiny little golden box and tells him that if he can take good care of it and never, never open it, he can return. And when he returns to the shore, the turtle will take him back home. Um, so he and the turtle make the three-day, three-night journey back to the surface, and he goes into the village only to find that everything has changed. He doesn't recognize anyone, and his old house looks strange and unfamiliar. When he asks after his old parents, no one knows them. No one even recalls their names. So he goes to the cemetery because they are elderly at the time that he leaves. He finds his parents' graves, and by the date on the stone, he finds that they passed away almost immediately upon him being lost at sea. Judging by the different dates on the different stones in the cemetery, he comes to realize that he's been gone for over 300 years, even though to him it feels like it's only been a few days. He thought of the princess's box and begins to wonder if he hasn't really been gone for 300 years, but whether he's just under the spell of some enchantress, under some illusion. Perhaps the counterspell is inside the little box, and that's why the princess doesn't want him to open it. So he opens the tiny little golden box, and almost immediately, purple smoke comes pouring out of it. He quickly begins to age as he tries to make his way back to the shore and back to the turtle, aging all the way back to the water. The turtle never returns, and death comes quickly to Urushi Mataro, along with decomposition. The villagers passed on the story of the man who gave up the sea king's palace and the most beautiful woman on earth, just for a chance to see his parents again. There are, as with other Older fairy tales, a couple other versions of this story, they all kind of stay in the same vein, but they do vary a little from version to version. Um, Yeah, so not only seeing a little of Rip Van Winkle in this, but of course a little bit of Pandora's box, which we covered during the season where we did Greek and Roman mythology too, but a little bit of the, hey, don't open this or you'll be in big trouble. And of course the protagonist goes ahead and opens it anyway, kind of deal which we see in a lot of stories as well but in this case it's less of a curiosity killed the cat kind of situation and more of a hey do you think the way to get me out of this bad situation may be in this little box. Turns out the answer is no the situation gets worse when you open the little box just as the princess said. Now this is a Japanese legend from the 8th century and we do see the rule of three taking place a lot in this story, just in that it's three days and three nights down to the Ocean Palace, three days and three nights back. Um, Rule of Three isn't quite as important in this one as it was in yesterday's story of the Twelve Dancing Princesses. It just happens to be the amount of time that it takes him to get down to the palace and back. But it is, again, another reference to the number three popping up as much as it does in fairy tales. In some versions of the story, it is also a warning against infidelity because in some versions of the story, taro actually has a family, a wife and kids, when he is swept away to the Undersea Palace and, um, you know, spends his time with the princess. The amount of time he spends down there varies. In some versions, he rescues the turtle in the morning and by the evening, the turtle is already grown enough for him to ride on it. And so... You see the time time situation kind of changes in different versions of this story. But it's pretty common for fairy tales that when you go to an other world of any kind, that time will not be measured in the same way there as it is here in our world. I kind of call this like the Narnia situation, where time can move incredibly fast in these other worlds or incredibly slow. Or as we see in Urashima Taro, it does both. Time moves quickly in the sea world for the growth and development of this turtle who you know grows what in our world would be like a hundred years or more of sea turtle growth you know for this turtle it happens whether it's over the course of a single day or over the course of a couple of years. it's abnormally quick growth for a sea turtle, but then we see that Urushima in every version spends a couple of days to a couple of years in the palace with the princess. And when he returns home, it's been hundreds of years. So, you know, we do see time move both very slowly and very quickly in the other world in this case, which I think is part of what to me makes it kind of parallel Narnia, because you sometimes see time pass very slowly compared to our world in Narnia. Sometimes you see it, zip right by. So, you know, kind of that interesting time parallel there. We see this a lot in Irish folklore with the Fae as well, where you can spend just a couple days with the Fae, and uh, when you return home, it's been a long, long time. Or, weirdly, no time at all. So we see a lot of that in myths and legends, a lot of weird time paradoxes, which is super, super fun. I prefer a time paradox story to a time travel story any old day now in the version where urashima taro does have a family the princess is less of a tragic heartbroken figure that falls in love with him and then he leaves and she's a little bit more menacing um it's implied many times in the story that she knows something that he does not about his situation and you find out of course in the end that what she knows is that he's been gone from home a lot longer than he thinks he has. So in the versions where he has a family, the princess is deliberately deceiving him, keeping him from returning to that family and then having him open the box and be stripped from that family and find out that his family has passed away without him is kind of her vengeance for him leaving her. She says specifically in one version, I never come in second um, or I am never a second choice. It's hard to say specifically because Things are being translated from the other side of the world. But the point being that um, her revealing to him that his family's all dead and then allowing him to die himself in some versions is seen as a form of vengeance. It is a warning against infidelity and um, kind of a show to not trust somebody who would draw you out of the sacred bonds of marriage because they are a deceiver that does not have your best interest at heart. So that's kind of a interesting version there, but those versions of the story do get a little darker and kind of touch on some more adult themes that I try to avoid with this podcast. Cause I try to keep it as family friendly as old fairy tales can possibly be. Um, I may kind of push that boundary a little bit with some of the violence in some of these tales, but there are some some stepping stones I'm not willing to step on for this podcast. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that that's, that's what happens, but I'm not going to go into it in any more detail. The point is, in versions where he's left his family behind for the princess, the princess herself is kind of more of the villain whereas in versions where he just leaves his, his mother and father behind and not a wife and children, Taro himself is almost the villain in that. He abandons the sea princess, who is effectively his wife in the story, breaks her heart, only to return home to find out that he has also broken his parents' hearts as well. And in all versions, he his parents pass away almost as soon as he disappears. So it really is the heartbreak of him being lost at sea that does take his parents' life. So that's kind of what I meant at the beginning of day- today's show when I say that it's not a pleasant story. There's not really a happily ever after in this one, which is much more common in foreign fairy tales and in older fairy tales. They sometimes end a little more tragically or even gruesomely. And uh, I guess I shouldn't say foreign because most fairy tales that we're familiar with in our culture come from like Europe, but um, you see this a lot more in like Asian fairy tales, sometimes in some of the African fairy tales. They're not as afraid to end the story with a tragedy, and really in some older American tales too, when they're more of a fable situation where there's a lesson to be learned, you may see a more tragic end just to really hammer in that message. And I think that that's kind of the case with Urushima Taro as well. I'm not as familiar with Japanese culture, but I do feel that they were trying to really put in this, this lesson here about respecting your elders, not breaking your family's heart, not throwing away your future in order to live in the present too, I think, and that uh, life is fleeting and, and about not wasting it is oftentimes the message that you see pulled from here. And of course, in some versions, the message about faithfulness to your wife and to your family. And so I guess that that's kind of part of the message in both because whether he's with the princess and she's effectively his wife and he leaves her behind, then he pays the price with his life. But also when he has a human wife and children and he leaves them behind for the princess, he pays the price with his life. So either way, I suppose you could take from that a message of faithfulness to your spouse. And of course, there is the price to be paid for breaking his parents' heart as well. So that is my summary of Urushima Taro, along with a little bit of analysis. I am going to go ahead and take the weekend off, but I cannot wait to go ahead and go over some more stories with you. It's so much fun to dive into these you really have no idea how much i enjoy this every every time i get to put up a new show it's it's so much fun i can't wait to dive into these stories that even i'm a little less familiar with just because that's where it gets really fun discovering the new tales for the first time Um, If you like this podcast and would like others to get a chance to enjoy it and kind of familiarize themselves with new stories from around the world, please go ahead and like, share, subscribe. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, and your favorite podcast app. And, of course, at southernfriedstorytime.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Have a wonderful weekend, and I can't wait to share more stories with you. Have a good one.